Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 8, the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. Hopefully you have your Bible with you this morning. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us this morning as we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians in chapter number 8. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to start there, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Immediately, you're going to recognize this, 2 Corinthians is not the book of Mark. We're in a study in the book of Mark. Our Bible teaching and preaching method at First Baptist Church to go next chapter, next verse, through God's word together as we learn all that God has for us. And currently, we're in a study in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter number 15 of that study, one of which we fully intend next week to pick up. But for this week, in light of Missions Conference and what God might have for us, we're going to turn our attention here to this great challenge to the church as it relates to considering missionaries. So that's how I want you to think of 2 Corinthians 8 this morning. I want you to think of it as a challenge from God through the Apostle Paul's pen to you and to me for what we should think about when we think about missionaries. We think about the people that were just on this stage a moment ago who are giving their lives to go to a foreign field and tell others about Jesus. What should we think about that? And how should we respond? Look at chapter 8, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their record I, or, or, or let me start over, verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, that they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take up the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves unto the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now, insomuch we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace. Therefore, as, we, as ye abound in everything... In faith, in utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. And to prove the sincerity of your love, 
For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind that is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. And as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had, had gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. This is a passage about generosity. Generosity. Where does Christian generosity begin? And according to this passage, Christian generosity begins in the heart. If you're here this morning and this is your first time at church, maybe you're not even a Christian, you're just visiting, somebody handed you an invitation and showed up, and you're thinking to yourself, I knew it, it was a trick. They only want my money. It's much worse than that, I want you to know. God does not just want your money. He wants your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. Christian generosity is not about an amount. It's about an attitude. It's about a heart of cheerfulness and joy and sacrificial response to those who have willingly gave of themselves. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives this morning. Challenge us what we might do together as a church, but what we might also do individually. For those who have whether never given to missions before, I pray today would be the first day in which they would do so. I pray that you would use your word to challenge them, show them why they ought to. For those who have given in the past missions, I pray that this would be a message of encouragement for them to continue on, to perhaps even reconsider, Father, what it is that they are giving and how we might do more as the final days approach. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. 
Christian generosity is really three things in this passage. You have an outline, you can kind of follow along with us. Christian generosity is first an expression of the grace of God. Christian generosity is inspired by the cross of Jesus Christ, that's second. And third, Christian generosity reflects our unity in the Spirit. But it begins here in verse number one as an expression of the grace of God. Look at verse one. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So you will notice that the Apostle Paul does not begin by referring to the generosity of the churches of Macedonia. He's not talking about how generous they were. Instead, he begins by talking about the grace of God that was given to them. In other words, behind the generosity of these Christians in Macedonia was the grace of God himself. Another word for grace, in fact, is the word generous. So our God is a gracious God, which makes our God a generous God. And when our gracious God is at work in us, then it will be known to the people around us because we will be generous like our God is. An evidence of the grace of God in your heart is the generosity in which you live your life. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you want to see an example of generous people? You need to look at this church at Macedonia. And this church at Macedonia, when you think about them, I don't want you to think about how, how much they gave. I want you to think about the way in which God's grace is being evident in them. And Paul tells us really four things about the the generosity of this church. He tells us first that they gave joyfully. Write that down. They gave joyfully. That when God's grace is at work in us, people can see it. When God's grace is at work in us, people can see it. Look at verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction to their abundance of their, look at that word, their, what's the word? What's the word? Joy. Verse two, the abundance of their, say it with me, the abundance of their joy. In other words, you could tell that they were grace-filled people because they were glad people. You could tell they were grace-filled people because they were joy-filled people. You could tell they were grace-filled people because they were happy people. How many of you know the world is in need of some happy Christians? We have enough grumpy Christians in the world. Some of you, some of them are them in the room right now. We have enough grumpy Christians. We need joy-filled Christians. And an evidence that God is at work in you is the fact that there is joy that is radiating from your life. 
that there is a gladness about which you do your service for the Lord. There's a gladness about which in which you, uh, you, you, you sing, you give, you help, you encourage, you work. There's a gladness about what you are doing. The Bible says this, that God loveth a, you remember the word? Cheerful giver. Pastors love any kind of givers. If you want to give grumpily today, I don't care. Just give grumpily. And that will make me happy. But what makes God happy? What makes God happy is not a grumpy giver. What makes God happy is a cheerful giver. And that's what this church in Macedonia is being noted for. It's what's being highlighted. It's what's being called out. It's not the amount that they gave. It's the way in which they gave. And they gave joyfully. And God is not so much interested in the amount that you will give, but God is very interested in the attitude that you have while you give. They gave joyfully, but notice second, they gave sacrificially. So notice verse two, how that in a great trial of affliction, they had joy. Notice verse two, they had deep poverty that abounded. And yet it moved them to the riches of their liberality. In other words, Paul is very careful to point out here that it is not their wealth that made them the gold standard for giving in the Bible. It's not the amount that they gave. It's the conditions in which they gave. They gave joyfully, gladly, cheerfully, Happily, their attitude mattered, but they also gave sacrificially in that the time in which they gave, the season that they were going through while they were choosing to give was not a good season. Quite frankly, it wasn't a good time to take up an offering. It wasn't a good time for the churches of Macedonia to give an offering because they had noticed a great trial of affliction. And secondarily, they had deep poverty. We would say it like this. It's not a good time for an offering because the stock market is down. The economy is in the tank. The jobs are scarce. Gas prices are skyrocketing. Unemployment rate is growing. Inflation. It's just not a good time for an offering. And this church in Macedonia could have used any excuse. They could have used every excuse for why they did not contribute to the offering that Paul had brought before them. And yet, here they are, joyfully, sacrificially giving. You know what I've learned over the years? That people who will use hard times as an excuse to not give will find an excuse in good times to not give. People who use hard times as the reason for why they don't give will in the good times find an excuse to not give. 
That's not the church of Macedonia. The church of Macedonia is not finding excuses to give. Instead, they're giving joyfully. They're giving sacrificially. Look at verse number three, verse number four. They're giving enthusiastically. Look at verse three. For to their power, I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In, in other words, Paul is saying their giving is not a result of some outward or external compulsion. It was of their own free will that they are deciding to give. They're, they're giving, notice, not according to their ability, but instead they are giving, the Bible says, beyond their power. In other words, beyond their ability. It wasn't according to their ability. It was beyond their ability. And this is what the grace of God will do. The grace of God will cause you to be able to not just function in your own ability, in your own power, but instead beyond your ability, beyond your power. We'll take in just a few moments our faith promise commitments for the year. And faith promise is simply that. Faith promise is giving and offering by faith. It's not sitting down and calculating up how much am I able to do. It's instead saying to the Lord, God, here is this great need that is before us. And I, I feel compelled by your spirit to give to it, and I'm choosing this amount of my own free will and spirit, leading that this is what I ought to contribute to this. By faith. Like everything in the Christian life, faith is required in order to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith promise is simply that. It's a commitment to say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how we're going to do this. But I am by faith believing God to allow me to give beyond what I am capable of giving as it relates to this offering. They gave joyfully. They gave sacrificially. They gave enthusiastically. Notice this one. They gave forth. They gave unconditionally. Look at verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. In, in other words, it's not that God just wants something you have. God wants all you are. God does not just want something you have. God wants all that you are. In fact, it's much easier to simply surrender a part of you. It's much easier to simply surrender to God something you have and then go on living the rest of your life in whichever way you so choose to live. It's much more difficult it, to say, okay, Lord, it's not just something I have that I'm giving you, but it's all that I am. I'm giving you all of myself. And that's what's happening here. Notice the verse. 
The Bible says in verse 5, they gave of their own selves unto the Lord. I take note, friend, that God is willing to take full responsibility for the life that is totally surrendered to him. God is willing to take full responsibility of the life that is totally surrendered to him. But you and I must be totally surrendered to him. You and I must be willing to surrender our whole selves to him. Not just a part, not just a piece, not just a day, but willing to give of ourselves. A Christian generosity then begins as an expression of God's grace to you and to me. So let's just review for a second. How is the grace of God being evidenced in you and me right now? Could it be said of the church of First Baptist Long Beach, they gave joyfully? Could it be said of the church of First Baptist Long Beach, we gave enthusiastically, we gave sacrificially, we gave unconditionally, we gave beyond our power, we gave of our own selves first to the Lord. Could that be said of the, first, the, the, the church of First Baptist Long Beach? Could that be said of you? Is your giving joyful, sacrificial, enthusiastic, unconditional? Is my giving joyful, sacrificial, enthusiastic, unconditional? Is the grace of God evidenced in you. Evidenced literally means seen, known. How would we know if the grace of God is at work in you if you have no joy, if you have no sacrificial spirit, if you have no enthusiasm as it relates to the service of the Lord, if you're holding yourself back from what God has demanded, how would we know? Paul says, I can speak on behalf of the church at Macedonia. What's a church? A church is simply a, a, a gathering together of the people of God. So when he speaks of the church at Macedonia, he's thinking of individuals. When someone speaks of the church at First Baptist in Long Beach, they aren't simply speaking of an organization or simply speaking of it as an institution. They're thinking in terms of individuals. They're thinking of you. They're speaking of you and me. And would it be said that we give sacrificially, joyfully, enthusiastically, unconditionally, that we are willing to give even of ourselves. Christian giving is an expression of the grace of God. It's, it's the way in which we demonstrate the grace of God to the world around us. Second, Christian giving is inspired by the cross of Christ. This is what he says in verse 8, look at it. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, 
that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul states the case perfectly. Once again, the the grace of giving, the, the, the grace of generosity. It rests in knowing the grace that Jesus has toward you and me. Paul is holding Christ up as the example of what it means to give. There, here's what he's saying. There was a time when Jesus was rich. There was a time when Jesus was not on earth. He was rich in heaven. Well, when was that? When was Jesus rich in heaven? Well, you remember his prayer in the upper room in John chapter 17, verse number five. He says, oh, father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In other words, Jesus is saying there was a time when I was rich with you. He owned it all. Everything was his. And he willingly, voluntarily deliberately gave of himself, not gave part of himself, but he gave all of himself. He impoverished himself, the Bible says. Paul writing to the church at Philippi says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You remember in Jesus' ministry here on earth, do you remember how he borrowed everything? He had to borrow a colt. He had to borrow a donkey. He had to borrow clothing. He had to borrow a coin. He had to to borrow a house. He had to borrow a room. He had to borrow a tomb. Remember, he had to borrow everything. He owned nothing. Why? Because he made himself poor for us. And Paul is saying, man, the standard of Christian generosity is looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, that he was rich and he became poor for us. Why? Well, he answers the question, verse number nine. That ye through his poverty might be rich. That you and I could be made rich through the sacrificial impoverishment and humbling of Jesus himself. Are you rich in Christ this morning? Do you know that you are rich in Christ this morning? You say, well, well, pastor, if I'm rich in Christ, how, how am I rich? Well, you should know this, that being rich in Christ means that we are rich in forgiveness. Our sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been paid. We have peace with God through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're rich in forgiveness. I wonder how many of the world's richest people would give all of their riches in order to have peace with God through Jesus and peace with others because of Jesus. Imagine for a moment that you were broke. For some of us, it doesn't take hard to imagine that. But imagine for a moment you were broke, you were bankrupt, you didn't have any money. The bills were piling up, you were being 
threatened with eviction and repo your vehicle. And imagine that I decided I was going to help you out. So I got my checkbook and I wrote you a check for $100,000. I can't do that. This is a story. It's an, it's, an, it's an illustration. Don't meet me in the lobby and ask me for that. It's just to illustrate the point. Imagine I give you a check in the lobby for $100,000. It sets you free from all of your debts. It propels you into a good, full future. And imagine you get your check, and it's $100,000, and all of your problems are going away, and you're so happy, you jump up and down with the check. You, you hug the check. You, you take a selfie with the check. Does any of that celebration or selfies or, or calling your mom, I got a check, I'm, it's all good. Does any of that do you any good? No. What do you have to do with the check? You got to deposit the check. And there are many people in this world who know about Jesus they celebrate Jesus. They sing about Jesus. They take selfies on Sunday for Jesus. Hashtag selfie Sunday. But they've never made a deposit of faith in Jesus Christ. They do not know the richness of forgiveness in Christ. Christ was rich. He became poor so we could be rich. How are we rich? We're rich in forgiveness. All of our sins are wiped away, forgiven, debt paid, added to the account of Christ and taken from my account. We're also rich in fellowship that those who know Christ are given an eternal family they're entered, they enter into God's family. We have adoption into the family of God. God becomes our father. We're joint heirs with Jesus because of Christ. You're brought not simply into God's family. You're brought into a church family. You receive the wonderful fellowship of other believers. We're rich in fellowship. I'm wondering this morning, are you rich in fellowship with Christ? You know why someone becomes bitter? You know, why some, you know why someone becomes resentful? Look, you know why someone becomes bitter? You know why someone becomes resentful? It's because they've forgotten how rich they are in Christ. A bitter, resentful person is a person who has forgotten how much Christ has given them. How rich they are in Christ. And so they have this hostility toward others because they've forgotten the peace that they have with God. They've forgotten the peace they have with God and so they're hostile toward others. I'm asking you this morning, are you rich in your fellowship? Or do you find yourself 
a bitter and resentful Christian. Bitter and resentful. Paul says we're rich in Christ because Christ became poor for us and we who've put our faith in Jesus are made rich. We're rich in forgiveness. We're rich in fellowship. Listen, we're rich in hope. Hope for our future. Have you noticed the world is in need of hope? It's depleted of hope. Fear abounds. Everywhere you look, fear abounds. Every news channel you click on, fear abounds. Every time you scroll and troll through your social media, fear abounds. The world has no hope, but God's people have hope for the future. Why? Because this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims here. We're strangers. We're just passing through. Christ has gone to prepare for us a place somewhere other than this place. That is our hope. And Peter says it is a living hope. It's a living hope. So you can take everything from me in this life, but you cannot take away the hope I have in Christ you can take my money, and you can take my strength, and you can take my freedoms, and you can shut down my ability to speak, and you can take my family, and you can take my belongings, and you can take my mind and my thoughts. You can lose it all by the end of the day today, but you cannot take away the hope that I have in Christ. We're rich in hope. This is what God's people are. We're rich in our forgiveness. We're rich in our fellowship. And we're rich in our future hope with Christ. This is not alleviate the difficulties we have right now. Of course, there are difficulties we face right now. Of course, in this world, we suffer tribulation. We have problems. We have difficulties as we navigate the life. this life. We get bad diagnosis. We receive bad news. But this does not shake us from our hope. This world is not all there is. We live just a few short moments here. James says it's like a vapor. It's just this long. And we will, we will live millions and millions and millions of years someplace other than right here. That is our hope. That's our hope. Do you have that hope? Are you this morning rich in that kind of a hope? Do you find yourself discouraged, depressed, depressed, despondent, ready to give up, call quits, walk away? No, Paul is saying, no, no, remember the hope we have. Remember the living hope we have. So now, think about the hope. Think about the fellowship with Christ. Think about how rich you are in forgiveness from Christ. Now, Christian brother, Christian sister, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming soon. You're this close. Just endure for a little while. 
thinking of the forgiveness, fellowship, and future hope we have in Christ. Christian generosity is inspired by the cross of Christ. Christian generosity is expressed in the grace of God. Let me give you this last one. Christian generosity reflects our unity in the Spirit. This is really what he's saying now, verse number 10 to verse number 15. Here's my advice. This is expedient for you. So look here. That word expedient literally means beneficial. This is beneficial for you. This is good for you, in other words. This is my advice. This is expedient. This is beneficial. I'm not telling you this is a commandment. I'm saying this is, this is good for you. That you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, now, there, now therefore perform the doing of it. Paul had already come through the church at Corinth. They had promised to give an offering to help Christians in Jerusalem. And they had backed off of their promise. They failed to perform what they had promised to do. How many of you know somebody who's made a promise and then they didn't perform the promise they made? How many of you know somebody like that, right? Of course. It's nothing new. It was happening in the Bible. People made a promise. They didn't perform the promise that they said they were going to do. So what should we do? If we fail to live out our promise, what should we do? Should we just call it quit? Should we just give up? No, no, no. Paul says, no, instead, instead, don't just walk away. Instead, verse 11, perform the doing of it. There was a readiness of will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. He goes, don't worry. You are already willing to do it. Don't just give up on what you said you were going to do. Just buckle down now and do it. Sometimes this is what happens in our Christian, in our Christian journey. We say... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this for Jesus, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to live like this, and I'm going to serve in this way. And then we get into our Christian journey a little bit. We trip and fall. We scrape our knees. We get beat up a little bit, and we go, oh, it's just not even worth it. I mean, I'm, I, I just can't even try. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. And Paul says, no, no, no. You've tripped. You've stumbled. You've fallen. It's okay. Get up and press on for Christ. Don't sit to the silent. Don't just disqualify yourself. Don't remove yourself from the work that God is up to. Instead, man, stand up. Dust yourself off. Ask him for forgiveness. Be reminded of the richness that we have in Jesus and press on into what God is telling you to do. Verse 12, for if there be first a willing mind, it's accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. In other words, Christian giving then necessitates integrity. That's verse 10 and 11. Necessitates integrity that we actually follow through with what we've said. Sometimes when it comes to offerings like this, we can be tempted to think, well, I can't make a promise of something to give because I don't know what my future circumstances will look like. Well, remember, friend, we aren't promising according to our ability. We're promising according to our faith in God. Faith, promise, giving. Paul is saying, make the pledge. You, you need to be reminded of this, that, that you and I use things every day by way of promising to pay it. When you use electricity, for example, you don't know what the future of your finances are going to look like, but you still use the electricity in your house. 
You'll turn on the light this afternoon when you get home and you're making a pledge. You're making a promise. I'm going to turn this light on. I'm going to use this electricity and the bill's going to come next month and I'm going to pay it. We do the same with the cell phone. You use your cell phone. You're making a promise. You're making a pledge. The bill's going to come next month. You're going to pay it. You go into a restaurant, a nice one. You sit down, you eat. You know what you're doing? You're making a pledge. You're making a promise. I'm going to enjoy this nice meal. The bill's going to come at the end and I'm going to pay it. Faith promise giving is no different than this. This is what's happening in the church at Macedonia, the church at Corinth. This is the way Paul went around all those churches there around the Mediterranean rim, collected offerings for the church in Jerusalem who was in need. We're making a pledge. And God honors integrity and in giving God honors ability. God honors the ability of giving. God holds us accountable not for an amount. God holds us accountable for our ability. The test of our generosity is not our wealth. The test of our generosity is our willingness. There's first a willing mind. Integrity, ability, look at this one, unity. Look what he says in verse 13. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by inequality. That now at this time your abundance may be the supply of their want and their abundance may also be the supply of your want. That there may be equality as it is written. He that had gathered much had nothing over and he that had gathered little had no lack. There's an equality in giving. There's a unity that he's speaking of. Today we have the, the privilege of giving. Tomorrow we may have the equal privilege of receiving. Equality in giving teaches us not to expect someone else to carry all the load. So teach us to think individually, how am I going to give to this? Specifically, individually. To illustrate the point, Paul uses the illustration of manna. That's verse 15. As it is written, he says, you've heard the story how manna fell from heaven. The children of Israel went out and ate. Some people took a whole bunch, but they had nothing left over. Some people took a little, but they had plenty. But they had plenty. Christian giving reflects our unity. At the beginning of the service, we had a group of men and women on this platform who were willing to go. They're willing to go, willing to give of, them, of themselves, willing to give of their own selves to take the gospel all around the world. Will you go? Will you go? We should not be above asking ourselves that question. Hey, here are these men and women who are giving of themselves to go give the gospel around the world. I wonder if that's what God wants for me. If you say this morning, well, I don't believe God wants me to go to a different country or a, a different land and give the gospel. Okay, then. Then we must give. And this is the way in which we bring unity to the work of the Spirit in the world today. How do we give? How do we give? 
The way in which we support missionaries here at First Baptist Church is through what we call faith promise giving. You, you received this in place of your bulletin this morning on your way in. It's just a kind of a, a, a snapshot of the way in which missions program works for us here at First Baptist Church. I would encourage you just to open this up for just a second. Let me show you uh, what's inside of here. And this is really just an introduction to the missions program at, at the church. We support 100, currently we support 108 missionaries who go all across the globe giving out the gospel. How we support them is through this program. The program is called Faith Promise Giving. Faith Promise Giving is exactly what we've been explaining just a moment ago. It's an amount given by us individually but also corporately as a church to the cause of evangelizing the world. We bring missionaries in, we consider whether we should bring them on as a part of our missionary family. We do a lot of that work ahead of time. You'd be surprised to know this, that many of these missionaries that were here this morning, many of these missionaries, they'll travel to churches. They'll spend days at a time at churches. Those churches won't give them any gas money to give, get there. They won't buy them any airplane tickets. They won't pay for their hotel cost. They won't even give them a love offering on their way out. It's a, it's a sad indictment on the, on the state of the church. We've done our homework before we invited these missionaries to be here. We've already looked into what they believe and what they teach and looked up their recommendations and their referrals. These are men and women, many of whom are already on the field doing a great work, some of whom can't wait to get there. We've taken care of all their accommodations and their costs and their expense in getting. We'll give them a love offering from the church before they go. But one of the things we want to pledge to them at the conclusion of the service this evening is we want to pledge to them that we will support them regularly so they can stay on the field. The way that we do that is through faith promise giving. Whatever comes in through faith promise gets divided out according to our missionaries accordingly. So we want to support these missionaries, which means we have to make a faith promise commitment. Our faith promise commitments are taken annually. We do them once a year, right about this time of the year, and they're good for a year. So if you're wondering, well, how long is this commitment made? This commitment's made for a year. You got a card that's like this on the inside of there, and what we're asking you to do, what we began asking you several weeks ago to do is to pray about how you would give. Some of you this morning, you're prepared to know what that amount would be, and we would ask for you to just fill that amount out. You can fold that in half. You can drop it in the offering box on your way out. Some of you aren't prepared to make what, ple that, what that pledge might be, you're not prepared to make that pledge this morning, and that's fine. If you're not prepared to make it this morning, you can make it this evening when you come to church. You can make it next week if you'd like, however God would lead and guide you to do. But you and I are considering this, eve this morning, how, how should we give to the cause of evangelizing the world in this way? But giving co consistently through the year is just one way. Another way to give is to give a, a contribution to our missionaries, which we'll do this evening. At the conclusion of the service this evening, we'll have our missionaries. They'll be standing here at the front of the auditorium or scattered throughout the room. At the conclusion of our service, what we're going to ask you to do is we're going to ask you to make an individual family contribution to those missionaries. Some people will give them a gift card to coffee. Some people will give them a gas allowance. Some people will give them a dollar here. Some people will just write a note. Some people will give them a check. Whatever would be appropriate for you to do. What we would ask is you'd come this evening prepared to give a special gift from you personally to them, from your hand to their hand, from your family to their family, to give them this as a token of your appreciation for their willingness 
to take time to travel the, the state to raise money to go to the field. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, I don't have any money to give. Fine, just write a note. Just tell them you're going to pray for them. Make sure you pick up one of their prayer cards on, their, on your way out. And then actually pray for them. Put it right on your refrigerator and pray for them every morning. Be reminded of having met them, having heard their story, having watched their video. These are ways in which we, we can contribute. These are ways in which we can give. These are the methods that we use here at First Baptist Church. It's certainly true. They're not the only methods. They're just the most effective methods. I also think that you're seeing from 2 Corinthians 8 this morning. It's a biblical method that we're, that we're following in. I believe this is the method that Paul used as he went to the church at Macedonia and Corinth. And I think this is a good method for us to use today. The time in the service has come to ask yourself, Lord, what do you want me to do with that? Lord, what do you want me to give? 